Tennessee Wildcast is live on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. It's TWRA's podcast, and we want to welcome you all and thank you for joining in. Um, if you're watching on Facebook, thanks for, for being there and watching live on Facebook. And uh, got a pretty interesting show for you today. And I want to hit a few current events and some things I want to just uh, let you know about before we jump into that. But uh, CWD is the topic for today, chronic wasting disease. But before we hit that, I want to let you know a few things. The hunting guide is out. And uh, it uh, should be in your Walmarts. It's online. Uh, any licensed agent, you can pick them up. Uh, but what's new this year in the hunting guide is on page six. Uh, that's a good place to start. See what all you're gonna uh, need to uh, catch yourself up on as far as uh, the new stuff this year. Uh, what we're gonna be talking about today, CWD is on page 30. So that's a good page to go to um, and learn about those restrictions and we'll talk more about that today. And then on page 31, check-in procedures. That's a that's a big one. You can check on check them in online. Check in your deer, your big game, or, um, and stuff like that online now. Uh, you can check it in at your license agent and through the app. So uh, check out that page. That's a good place to um, refresh on that. Also, September 4th, 5th, and 6th, they're going we're going to be hosting some public meetings regarding deer management in Tennessee, and uh, we're looking to. Um, evaluate and improve our deer management plan and we want your input so uh, these meetings are going to be held across the state one in west tennessee on september 4th and middle tennessee on september 5th and then east tennessee september 6th and that's going to be uh, jackson murfreesboro knoxville and those locations can be found on our website tnwildlife.org uh, under the newsroom there's a press release there that lists um all those locations and the times they're all seven to nine but the list of locations and the address is there so you can you can uh, make sure you can uh, get the address plugged into gps and and get there if you're interested uh, we'll also have some stuff on facebook and and letting you know about that and uh, updating you on that as it information comes out last thing we want to hit on is twra uh, uh, leasing dove fields we're leasing dove fields again this year we do that every year dove season starts september 1st uh, but if you want, uh, if you're a landowner and uh, you've got a field, you think you might want to lease, we'll come out and look at it. Uh, we'll try to get those uh, all done before the end of August because the season starts September 1st. So uh, if you want to, if you got a dub field, call land for your landowner. Call one of the TWRA offices, and we'll uh, we'll get a biologist out there to check it out. And uh, if you want to know where those fields are located, tmwildlife.org, the homepage. There's a block there that says dub fields. Click that. Uh, scroll down a little bit. There's a map. And that'll show you what we have so far, and we'll be adding to that map throughout uh, the month of August. So, real excited about today's show. Not excited about the the disease that you know we're trying to stop or keep from coming to Tennessee, but excited about the guys we're going to be talking to today, and they're going to uh, catch y'all up on on this uh, this uh, CWD. So I'm going to pan out. Let's see. Let's go to camera one. How's that? And you'll see us here, uh, Mr. Greg Wathen out there on the end. Thank you, Greg, for being here. Thank you, Jason. And Glad to be here. Uh, yeah, thank you. And then Mr. Daniel, Dr. Daniel Grove is here with me in the middle. Thanks, Jason. Um, Dr. Daniel is, um, is a new uh, new employee for the agency, and it's kind of a, a shared position, I think. And you can help me elaborate on that. But uh, 
He's our new veterinarian. And uh, that, tell us a little bit about what a, a veterinarian will be doing for the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency and how the, the position is uh, kind of shared. Yeah, the position's uh, actually structured where I'm actually an uh, extension assistant professor of wildlife health with the University of Tennessee. Okay. Um, and so TWA is funding the position through the university, and that just kind of strengthens the relationship with the university and uh, opens up potential research opportunities and things like that with regards to wildlife health or anything else that you know the university and TWA thinks needs to be done in terms of research. Um, as, uh, with regards to what a wildlife veterinarian does, it's a little bit of everything. It's everything from actual disease work, like what we're talking about here today with chronic wasting disease, mm -hmm. all the way to dealing with the politics of uh, legislatively trying to figure out uh, what's best to prevent disease from coming into populations uh, here in the state of Tennessee. Um, in terms of everything in between, you know, it's a little bit of pathology, looking at stuff, figuring out why it died, and is it going to actually impact wildlife populations as a, as a whole, um, or was it just that individual animal that, you know, happened to succumb to that particular disease? Okay. So just the concept of wildlife and health in general is uh, one portion of a, of a larger concept of one health, where it involves wildlife health, um, human health, environmental health, and domestic animal health, and the interplay of all those things. And so... Uh, as a veterinarian, kind of act as a, you know, in between with all the other aspects, whether it be domestic animal, human health, and then um, the wildlife health side of things. Awesome. So what brought you to Tennessee? Or uh, you, you may have been born here. I don't know. You may be a native, but what brought you to uh, Tennessee? And what's your, what's your background? Where'd you go to school? Uh, actually, I grew up in Knoxville area. Uh, we moved there when I was about two years old and grew up uh, in uh, in, in the Knoxville area, went to the Farragut High School, for those uh, whom out there who yeah. might have heard of Farragut. Uh, then I did my undergrad in animal science at the University of Tennessee, and then I uh, did my uh, veterinary degree at the University of Tennessee also. Awesome. Well, we're glad you're, you're with us, and uh, we appreciate you joining us today for the show. Uh, looking forward to working with you, and uh, looking forward to talking a little bit more about this chronic wasting disease today. But I uh, want to talk to meet Greg, Greg Wathen. He's been with the agency for quite a while. How long have you been with the agency, Greg? 31 years. 31 years. Yeah, started in 1987 as a deer biologist for the state. And um, so just been here in Nashville, the Nashville office ever since then. Yeah, you've been chief of wildlife at once. Yeah. yeah, I've had several jobs in the HC. Uh, it's been um, a deer biologist and then uh, assistant chief of the wildlife division. Uh, I went down and worked for the director uh, director's office uh, as a special assistant for a few years. And then I was chief of wildlife. Uh, and then for a number of years, I was uh, uh, working in landscape conservation for a large collaborative uh, organization um, uh, just till recently. And then I'm back to being sort of a special assistant to the director right now. So, awesome. Yeah. Well, we're glad, glad you're here and, and appreciate your hard work. But um, let's, uh, let's jump into CWD and let's, let's um, first define it. What is CWD? What is chronic wasting disease? And either one of you can jump in, whoever wants to. But let's want to let the vet take that Okay. One. <laughs> All right. Chronic wasting disease is uh, in a class of uh, organisms called uh, transmissible spongiform encephalopathies. Can you say that, say that one more time? <laughs> <laughs> we'll call them TSEs. TSEs, okay. All right. um, they're actually prions, uh, and prions are not viruses, bacteria, fungus, parasites, anything like that. It's a separate uh, class of organism per se. Um, it's actually a misfolded protein that would be normally in the body, and because it's misfolded, that's actually what causes the clinical signs that we would see in an animal. 
um, and it's able to cause the body to reproduce it. Um, and so basically they're an infectious protein is the easiest way to explain it. Um, and uh, basically it has a predilection for the brain and for neurologic tissue. And so a lot of the clinical signs that we see are associated with uh, as that disease progresses in the brain. Mm -hmm. So it pretty much eats the brain away, I guess. Yep. And, the, you know, actually the spongiform encephalopathy part, uh -huh. it, if you take a look at it under a microscope after the disease has affected a brain, it looks like a giant sponge. There's a bunch of holes everywhere where there wow. should be brain matter and there's just nothing left. And do we know what causes it and what, what, what affects these animals and how it gets, in, you know, causes these problems? Uh, well, you know, it, it gets into the body most likely through the oral transmission route, um, okay. you know, either through mutual grooming or through eating at a shared feed site or, you know, any number of ways, you know, during hunting season, it could be, well, I should say rut, not mm -hmm. during hunting season, but, uh, during rut, you know, at scrape sites and things like that, where other animals have marked and, you know, come in contact with the infectious protein that way. Um, it is shed urine and feces and saliva and things like that. Uh, pretty much every bodily fluid and every part of the body it can be found. Um, in terms of what it actually, you know, the clinical signs that you might see, chronic wasting disease, unfortunately, is a nondescript way to describe probably 100 different diseases, but it happens to have stuck with this particular one. Um, essentially, the animals, because of their neurologic um, impairments, uh, they stop eating, drinking normally. They essentially waste away, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and you'll see a really thin animal with poor hair coat in the later stages of the disease. But, you know, it could take anywhere from 10 to 18 months to become clinical after infection. So it's a long, slow and slowly progressing disease. Wow. Um, they, they don't ever survive it. Mm -hmm. It's 100% uh, fatal in, in all the animals that get it. So. And, and uh, we've got a video on our, on our uh, YouTube channel on our website uh, that uh, Barry Cross put together for us uh, talking about chronic waste and disease and trying to educate folks to to uh, just educate them on it and um, it's and we got 100% fatal that's on the first slide on the first slide you see so um, uh, one thing that people always maybe mistake or not always but sometimes mistake uh, uh, blue tongue or or EHD they they hear these things and they think it's chronic wasting or vice versa how does that compare? Is, is, is blue tongue the same as chronic wasting? No, uh, blue tongue and EHD, and I think some of the confusion comes because the there's so many initials that we throw around out there. Right. You've uh, got me confused today with some of those terms. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, just the nature of the business, you know. Um, you know in terms of uh, EHD and blue tongue virus, uh, so it's actually uh, epizootic hemorrhagic disease is mm -hmm. the disease you're referring to. And that's actually a part of a larger group of uh, viruses that cause hemorrhagic disease. So EHD and blue tongue cause the same clinical signs. They're distinct viruses. Uh, you know, whenever you do your tests on them, they, mm -hmm. they are very distinct things. But the clinical signs in the animal are going to be the same. You're going to see the ulceration uh, in the oral cavity, um, you know, acute death sometimes. Animals that survive uh, infection. Uh, might have hoof lesions. They'll see really deep lines on the hoof walls, and okay. those are called fever lines for you know, uh, people that you know, have horses and cattle and stuff. You'll see the fever lines develop sometimes. Um, and so they're two dis different, distinct different groups of diseases uh, in terms of one's a virus, and CWD, chronic wasting disease, is a prion. Okay. So uh, method of transmission with EHD and blue tongue is through a biting midge. And so some years we'll actually see outbreaks of EHD and blue tongue virus or hemorrhagic disease in mm -hmm. general. 
Um, and those are years where it's prime for the midge to, you know, have habitat and, and then, you know, if it bites an infected animal, then it spreads it to another, into another animal and continues the cycle. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, animals can survive EHD and blue tongue. Right. Uh, they yeah. might be impaired for a little while, depending on how aggressive it got and where the lesions were. Um, it can cause hemorrhage in the lungs and it can cause lesions in their rumen and things like that. So, you know, they might be unthrifty for a little while. They, you know, might always be unthrifty after, after recovering from mm -hmm. hemorrhagic disease. Um, but, you know, they can also succumb to the disease too. Here in the South, you know, it's not, there's groups of animals that, uh, because they've kind of, you know, co-adapted, you know, and it's been here for a while. Um, there's animals that are somewhat more resistant to it. You know, the further you go up north, the less resistant they are, and the you know more animals die than actually recover from it. So. Yeah, I've heard that that you you know once an animal has it, if it survives it, it creates immunity, maybe more to it, and can can survive. So we just don't get those confused. CWD and EHD are two different things. Yeah. Uh, CWD, we don't have it right now, and we hope that we never have it, and that's why we're taking these steps and knocking on wood exactly, <laughs> taking these steps to. Uh, to try to keep it out of the Tennessee and, and just educate the folks about it. Um, uh, how many states have it? There's 25 states, and I think it's up to three or four provinces. So they've been confirmed. Uh, they know there's a section in that state, not the whole state, but probably a section or two in that state have okay. And that's, that's both in the wild as well as in captive facilities. Okay. All right. And um, just this year, uh, the new import restrictions this year for for anyone hunting out of state is that uh, you have to take the steps to uh, uh, clean the deer and, and, and do all the import restriction steps that you'd have to do if the state had CWD. All states are restricted. All states are <coughs> restricted now. Up until this year, we basically what we would do is any state that had uh, detected CWD, we would put them on a list of banned products. Right. Uh, deer had to be deboned. You can only bring in the meat. You can only bring in a cleaned, um, clean skull, clean teeth, things like that. Uh, this year, our commission said, "Well, let's just make that ban for all states because we're continuing to see, uh, you know, new states each year are detecting it, um, and so the, the disease has been really spreading out for the last, you know, 15, 20 years. CWD has been around for a, uh, a long time. You know, in Colorado, back in the 1950s is where it was first really." diagnosed I think uh, it wasn't until about 2001 or two that we started to see it east of the Mississippi and Wisconsin was first one of those first states where they found it uh, so the uh, state fish wildlife agencies have really gotten a lot more concerned about it and it's been spreading for a number of years now and so we're really trying in Tennessee to do all we can to prevent CWD from coming into the state right and then uh, we are also uh, uh, working on a plan right now, what we're calling a CWD response plan, that really focuses on if we do detect it, if we do get CWD in this state, then what do we do then? How do we respond? We've got a number of neighboring states that have found themselves in that situation. And recently, and Mississippi was the last. Mississippi one. was the last one, and it's you know it's always this thing where. Oh no! What are we going to do? And, and and it can be you know it can really be a manpower drainage. It's mm -hmm. a lot of money that's involved in terms of trying to to fight the disease and manage it. Uh, so we put together a response plan that really looks at you know if we do get a detection, we hope we don't. But if we do, then this is how we're going to respond. Uh, we're going to look at um, 
uh, surveillance in terms of trying to make sure that we detect it as early as we can. The, if the earlier we can detect it, the more the better opportunity and chance we'll have of actually managing it effectively and containing it. For that early detection, are we are we um, coordinating like check stations and sampling and that kind of thing? Yeah, well, check stations um, and working with taxidermists and processors uh, to get samples. Uh, we're coming up with a sampling strategy that's based on um, looking at target animals in terms of their age and sex. Uh, older animals, older bucks are, are more valuable to get in terms mm -hmm. of they may more may be more likely to have contracted the disease. Uh, so looking at that from, from that perspective to really increase the chances of us, us detecting it if we do have it. Um, uh, so yeah, so we're, so surveillance uh, to do early detection. If we do get a detection, then we're put, we'd want to put into place a containment strategy. How do we monitor that disease in that area and, may, and minimize its chances of spreading outside of that, outside of that area? And then the last part of the plan is really looking at the communications part, make sure that, you know, one of the issues with CWD is making sure that hunters, especially hunters that go out of state to hunt right. in an area where CWD might already exist, they need to know, number one, that CWD might be in that area, and they also need to know what to do if they actually harvest an animal or planning to bring that animal back to Tennessee. Uh, so we want to focus on that communication strategy as well. And that's what page 30 in the hunting guide is all about. It's telling those the hunters, you know, uh, you guys out there that this is what you need to make sure you do, the steps to take, you know, not to bring it back into Tennessee. And and it's not just for the hunters, though. It's for everybody. I mean, it, uh, we want to educate everybody about this and, and get the word out. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, well, while you were talking about the, the surveillance and the, the steps we're going to take and the, the response plan, I got to thinking about, if if we do get it, what if what if uh, a human ingests a deer that that's found positive? Can it affect humans? Right now, it's not known to um, the, the centers, and I maybe let Dan take this one as well here. Because <laughs> like, if you want to get myself out of trouble here, I'll answer. Yeah, there are right now is no human health implications known for CWD, but um, the Centers for Disease Control suggests that if you if you're hunting in an area where CWD is known to exist, mm -hmm. especially in, in some of these endemic areas, CWD, if you harvest a deer, you need to get that animal tested, right? Wait for the results, and if it does test positive, then we they recommend, and we would recommend that you not consume that animal. Uh, we don't know of any implications, but that's not to say that it couldn't happen. So you want to take that down a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I mean, the, the easiest way to explain it is, is that there are other prion diseases that I didn't mention before, such as mad cow disease, mm -hmm. um, that are infectious to people. Uh, there's conflicting research at this point in time because it's really hard to figure out without using an actual human. You're using a human proxy like macaques or things like that. Right. Uh, whenever you're doing these studies for determining if it's what we call zoonotic um, and can be trans transmissible to people, uh, the reality is, is you know, probably shouldn't eat anything from an animal that's diseased for any reason you know whether it's cwd or anything right um and that's just for your own safety because do you want to be the first person that confirms that it is positive that you that you can get the disease and that's that's the decision everybody kind of has to make for themselves if they do harvest a positive animal uh in another state so definitely don't want to be that uh that experiment i don't think yeah. um 
just because of what it does to the deer, it could do to you. I mean, you just think about well, it. And it there, there are there is a human version of it called Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease (CJD), um, and uh, you know it's it causes pretty much the similar clinical signs that hmm. it does in animals. You know, and so it's one of those things where, you know, if people always ask, "Would you take the risk?" And it's like me personally, no, I would not. Yeah, our, <clears throat> our recommendation to hunters is if, you, if you're hunting in an area where you know CWD exists and you get an animal to go ahead and get that animal tested so that you can be sure that you're not eating an animal that might be infected with CWD. Okay. And those tests, can is there a field test for this? Is there a quick and easy test for the hunter, or do they have to submit it? And it has to be submitted, yeah. So it's not any quick and easy. But uh, the states that have it that are doing testing, um, you know, it's usually a one- to two-week turnaround time in terms of getting your results back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, depending on uh, – there are some states that will actually – like Colorado, as a hunter, you can pay for the test, and you, a lot of times you get your results back within the same week while you're potentially even still out there with your hunting party. So okay. I mean, don't quote me on that because, you know, it changes from year to year with test availability. But there are there is research into trying to make a, a more, like, rapid test, you know, like animal side, but uh, what the actual practical implications of that will be in the future are yet to be known. Okay. Well, um I think we've hit most of the questions. Is uh, questions? Um, there's a few coming in from Facebook. Uh, do restrictions apply to hogs? And that, and, and that's a good question. Um, this this disease only affects cervids. Can you explain that 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 it doesn't affect say a hog? And tell um, them what a cervid is. Uh, well, cervids would be um, in Tennessee. It would be white-tailed deer and elk. Mm-hmm. Other cervid species would be any of the other deer species that exist in the United States, whether it's mule deer out west or black-tailed deer out west. Uh, moose also are cervid species. Uh, hogs actually can ingest the prion, and then uh, it comes out the other end. Mm. Um, and there is some indication that uh, pigs can actually become infected with the disease too. Um, but the implications of that in wild hogs at this point in time aren't very well understood because it's all been domestic pigs that the research has been done in. So, okay. so kind of the jury's still kind of out on how to handle all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, you know, if you're kind of in some states that have both CWD and wild hogs and you're hunting in an area where there's CWD, you might want to take caution with what you – because there's not really a test for it in, in hogs that per se like there is. Right. Yeah, I think you know the answer to the question is there are, there are not restrictions on bringing back hog carcasses, things like that. So this, that does not apply. But if you are in an area like that, you might want to be careful. Yeah, be careful. Um, a few more coming in. Is CWD curable? Is it preventable? Um, can it be eliminated? And that's I think that's all the questions that <laughs> that scientists and veterinarians like yourself and biologists are trying to trying to uh, figure out. And I I mean, is it curable? At this point in time, there's no known cure for it. Uh, preventable, they have looked at vaccines, um, and the reality is, is vaccine using vaccines in wild animals, it's really hard to administer in mm-hmm. terms of like on a, a broad scale. So you're never going to get 100% vaccinated, anyways. The vaccine trials have actually shown uh, with the one vaccine that was uh, they were looking at that the animals actually became more susceptible to CWD after being vaccinated. Wow. So, you know, and, and so there's mixed reviews. There's been a couple other uh, research projects on vaccines that they just didn't work. Um, uh, and so, you know, some of those implications long-term are not necessarily a good thing for, you know, cost and expense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at other wildlife programs that where there is success uh, with vaccines and it's not really applicable to this particular class of disease agent. Um, and can it be eliminated? 
the reality is, is that's why you want to prevent it from coming in because it's almost like indefinitely in the landscape once it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually certain types of soil, once it binds to it, makes it more infectious and it doesn't get washed away. Uh, so that's why, if, you know, if you can prevent it from getting established in a population in an area, that's your best, you know, your best treatment, your best cure, your best whatever you want to say about it. Um, prevention, 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 can't say it enough. But the reality is, is there's been long-term studies, and I think it goes out as 15, long as 15 years where animals are still becoming infected after being placed in pens that had CWD positive animals in it. Right. Yeah, I think uh, just on the prevention side of things, that's really been our strategy in Tennessee. We've, we've been fortunate and are fortunate that we do not allow for uh, private deer farms in Tennessee. We've never had that. It's been in the law that you cannot bring a deer in from out of state, a live deer from in, out of state, and put it into a farm situation or behind high fence. And I think that's helped us a lot in terms of, of, of a prevention strategy of not opening opening up the door for that for that to happen. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of states, that's kind of where CWD started, was from a private deer farm or situation where they had private deer that were brought in from, from another state kind of thing like that. So we're we our agency has really implemented about all the prevention strategies that we know that we can do to to minimize the risk of CWD being brought in to, from out of the state. Um, we're also working with the Department of Agriculture to help to minimize the possibilities from other captive service facilities as well. Okay, um, cool. So yeah. working on that, that's, um, that's the best prevention that we can do. And, um, and then beyond that, if we ever do detect it, identify it then it becomes from a prevention um, strategy to a containment strategy and managing the disease that kind of thing it's scary um we don't want it don't get too scared about it no (laughs) no we're not too scared but we don't want it and it's and if if you follow these import restrictions um and i want to hit on those before we leave there's another question that came in we'll try to get that answered on facebook and and uh, uh after the show but um I want to hit on the restrictions so we don't we haven't mentioned them what they are exactly so uh, this year if you hunt out of state out of Tennessee and you bring your animal back uh, the meat uh, has to be removed uh, from the bone meat with all bones removed antlers antlers attached to skull uh, antlers or antlers attached to clean skull plates can be brought back or a clean skull uh, with no meat or tissue attached Uh, clean teeth which have no meat or tissue attached. Uh, finished antler products and taxidermy can be brought back, tan hides and other tan products. So that's the restrictions, and that's uh, what we want the hunters to uh, focus on is to make sure you remember these these five things when you hunt out of state. And uh, thanks for watching today. Uh, thanks for sending your questions. Uh, it's all good, all good questions, and uh, we hope you all have benefited from, uh, from this show. And I thank you guys for being with me. Absolutely, Jason. Thank Thanks you. A lot. Anything else you want to add before we leave? Happy hunting this fall. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's right around the corner. So, uh, once again, thank you all, and we'll see you next time on Tennessee Wildcast. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.